Is investment something that's always been on your mind, but you don't quite know how to get started on that journey? We are here to set you on the right course. We are all about getting out of the rat race through creating positive passive income. Here you'll hear from regular people just like you and the professionals who support us towards greater wealth. Learn before you earn, move from analysis to action, and find the right path to attaining the success that you've always dreamed of for yourself. Now, here's your host, Athena. Welcome, everyone, to Women in Investing. My name is Athena Paquette Cormier, and I'm the founder of Women in Investing. We are a group that usually meets monthly face-to-face in a group, have some wine and cheese, and have a great time networking. And then we meet some fabulous woman who tells us how she got out of the rat race and um, or businesses that support us in that. So we are now online until we're allowed to meet inside buildings, which apparently they're allowed to do that in New York, but we are not allowed to do that in California. So here we are on Zoom, but the beauty and gift of uh, this COVID shutdown is that we get to meet fabulous women who are all the way in New York now. So that's awesome. So my guest tonight is actually um, Anna Radke, and she's a, a Juris Doctorate uh, holder, and she's a practicing attorney. And her path is very interesting once you, once you hear it of how life leads us in the places we never thought we'd be in. Um, and uh, she's, gonna, she's one of those businesses that helps us not only protect ourselves, our income, um, and from ourselves from doing stupid things because let's admit it we all do silly things that we're just not even aware that are stupid things so um so anna's going to share with us tonight all about protecting your your ideas your processes just anything that's intellectual property and believe me the strangest things that i never would have thought like i've heard of copyrights i've heard of trademarks but what is that really and uh if you saw my uh, little reminder of our evening tonight, I said, hey, I thought of that idea. Have you ever been down the street and or you're in a store and you see something and you thought, I thought of that? Well, too late, right? So how do you protect the ideas and, and the great products and even the processes that you come up with in your own business? So we're very excited to have Anna. And I met Anna through... Um, another attorney, uh, Manoj, who's a uh, kind of intellectual property expert, uh, but Anna has an expertise in the fashion and me- media uh, area, which is very important for all of us business owners. So welcome, Anna. I'm so excited to have you here with us. And I am actually going to turn over the um, hosting of this so Anna can share her um, her deck or her presentation that she's brought with her. Um yeah. Make host. Do you really want to? Yes, I really do. Okay, thank you. So welcome, Anna. Thanks for taking time out. And you're in New York, so it's like 9 p.m. there where you are. So I'm glad to have you with us. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate your invite. Sure. Let me share my presentation. Um, Can you see it now? Yes. Awesome. Okay, great. So uh, thank you for the title, Athena. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) I stole your idea. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) It's yours, now keep it yours. Uh, So today we're going to briefly talk about protecting intellectual property. We're going to start with a short introduction about who I am, so you know who's talking to you. Um, Then I'm going to explain the value of protecting IP, a little bit about trademarks, copyrights, and overview of other IP and then we're going to wrap it up. And when we should call you, right? Not uh, when it's too late? <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, if you have any questions, you can ask me any questions throughout the presentation. So a little bit of myself. Um, I'm originally from Poland. I moved to the United States more than a decade ago. Um, I graduated from the Fashion Institute of Technology here in New York with a degree in fashion merchandising. Uh, during my junior year of college, I studied abroad at Polymoda in Florence and Italy. Um, wow, also- tough life already. I feel so bad for you. <laughs> then when I was in college, um, I took a fashion law class with Guillermo Jimenez, who's one of the pioneers in the fashion law industry. And he sort of inspired me to go to law school. Um, I started law school uh, at Indiana University in Bloomington. 
um, that specializes actually in intellectual property law. But huh. then I was recruited by another fashion law professor, Barbara Carlson, to come uh, to finish my Juris Doctor degree at Cardozo Law School here in New York. I also missed New York, uh, so I moved back. Um, and then a few years ago, I graduated with a Juris Doctor degree from Cardozo Law School, and I also got my certificate in intellectual property there. Uh, more recently, uh, I graduated with an LM degree in law, technology, and entrepreneurship uh, from Cornell Law School, where I actually specialized in working uh, with businesses with um, corporate and intellectual property issues. Oh, that's um, interesting. Can you just tell us real quick, what's the difference between JD and LLM? Yeah, so JD is the, the first degree in law. Um, you can get it after you have your first degree. So the Juris Doctor is the first degree in law school. LM is more like a postgraduate degree. Um, mostly people who want to specialize in particular areas of law get it, or it's also a common path for people who want to become professors. Oh, okay. um, but you may heard hear about attorneys uh, who have an LM in tax law, or an intellectual oh, property yeah. law, it's very common. Uh, okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. Um, yeah, and besides being an attorney, I'm also a lecturer. I lectured at FIT. Now I'm a professor at LIM College here in New York. So I like to share my expertise. And wow, full circle. That is super cool to go back to where you started and be teaching them. Dang. <laughs> Uh, so uh, let's talk about why you should protect your brand. Um, generally, I think that protecting your intellectual property adds value to your business. Um, you also get some exclusive rights. For example, you can license uh, your trademark or you can license your patent. It just gives you more opportunities to grow your business. Um, and then it, of course, stops others from using your intellectual property because you put people on notice. Uh, so the first type of intellectual property I would like to discuss are trademarks. Um, so what is a trademark? A trademark can be a name, a slogan, a logo, or a combination thereof. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about them later on. But for, okay. for example, even colors or shapes can become trademarks. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> Uh, then uh, people always ask me, when can I register my trademark? Right. Mean, mo mo what makes my name distinctive? The trademark yeah. has to be inherently distinctive. It's a legal term. Uh, so there's a scope of distinctiveness. For example, the trademark can be arbitrary. So it's, for example, Apple uh, is an arbitrary trademark uh, in the software industry, right? Because Apple is not directly connected uh, to the industry that they're serving. Mm. Then uh, trademarks that are fanciful, so completely made up names, um, can are inherently distinctive and can be registered. So for example, Xerox um, is, a, is an example of a made up name. Uh, of a fanciful and what is that? Oh, Xerox, the, the big company. X E R O X. Sorry about my. Oh, pronoun. Xerox. Okay, okay. Yeah. Got yeah. it. Okay. Um, and then marks that are suggestive. So let's say there's some sort of connection uh, between uh, the name and the scope of goods or services that a business provides. Um, so these are all very easy to register unless there are other conflicting marks out there. But we're going so to... So what would be one like the subject... Do you have an example of what would be suggestive? Is that like when they change the word and put a Z on the end or they just... No, I would say the suggestive mark... It's, it's pretty difficult to, to come up with a name oh, okay. uh, right on top of my name, but it has to have some sort of connection with whatever you're selling. But so, it only alludes to it somehow. Alludes to it, yeah. Okay. So one may argue that, for example, a name like Maharani that has an Indian heritage might be suggestive 
of, oh, okay. let's say, a women's wear brand uh, with Indian garments. Mm. So this is an example of a, maybe a suggested mark. Okay. okay. Um, then another question is, when do you need to register the trademark? Um, so let's say as soon as you come up uh, with the mark and once you ensure it is available. So um, before choosing a name for your business, I would strongly recommend conducting a trademark clearance search. Mm. And what is a trademark clearance search? Um, basically, the best way is to hire an attorney yeah. uh, so that he can review a trademark report for you and make sure that there are no other similar or same marks out there. And they don't have to be registered um, with the USPTO. They can be common law trademarks. They're just there, uh, you know, existing in the market because in the United States, you obtain priority rights to use your trademark when you are the first to use. Mm. I but see. I'm going to discuss it a little bit more Okay. Uh, later on. Okay. Um, so what is a good mark, trademark or what is a valid trademark? So a trademark needs to be inherently distinctive, what we already discussed. However, let's say that a trademark is descriptive and you want to register it. So let's say uh, Tiffany registered its, its color, Tiffany Blue. Uh, Tiffany wasn't able to register the color until the mark has achieved secondary meaning. Um, so you're able to register marks that describe your goods or services only when they achieve secondary meaning. And what is secondary meaning? Secondary meaning means that an ordinary consumer is able to distinguish your mark. So let's say when a client or a consumer looks at the color, they associate it with Tiffany right away. So I think... Um, Interesting. And how good. long does that take or how long do they think that takes? Because if you're question. a new company, how are you going to get your color to be recognized if you're a small company, right? I mean, yeah, usually, usually it takes years, right? Because we need to have evidence to prove secondary meaning. Uh, so we have to conduct surveys, um, you know, asking consumers whether they associate the color or the mark with, uh, with a particular service or good. Uh, then we need some sort of media publication. So usually it's a longer process. I would assume that a young startup brand isn't able to register a descriptive mark right away. Possibly if the mark is used, let's say, by an influencer um, on social media, then maybe the influencer will get an instant fame and the mark will be able you to speed up the recognizability of your whatever it is. Okay. Yeah, but it's not enough that the mark has to be inherently distinctive or descriptive with secondary meaning in order to be able to register a trademark. We also have to make sure that there are no other confusingly similar marks um, in the market. So we have to clear the mark. We have to make sure that we are the first to use the mark um, in the United States. Uh, okay. So we have to have priority over the other marks. Uh, so I want to discuss some examples of trademarks with you. So it's not just theory. Uh, so trademarks can be names, uh, so any words, basically. Then they can be slogans. So you can think of uh, Just Do It that Nike uses. It's a very common slogan mm. that's registered. Um, then there are logos, so designs um, of your business name. Uh, here I have an example of my client's mark. Actually, it's a combined trademark then consists of uh, a design and a word. So it's a combination mark, but it would be treated as a design mark uh, while filing. So the, whole, so the whole thing, not just the Y and the A or whatever that TP looking thing is. Yeah. It's, it's so, the whole word and the design that's the trademark correct, or are they separate? Correct. It's the entire mark. The entire design thing. Mark. Okay. If yeah. I wanted to file an application only for the mark, I need in the stylized, stylized fonts, it will still be considered a design mark just because it's an 
it is in stylized font. Right. Uh, but if I wanted just to like type out the name in Times New Roman, there will be a word mark. And generally, it's the first application that uh, a person should file because the word will be protected in any font and any color. Um, then if we want to use specialized fonts or particular designs, then probably is the next step. We would go ahead and file um, the design. But again, it's a matter of strategy, so it's best to uh, discuss with an attorney right. moving forward. Um, so yeah, we already know that when we're filing our trademarks, they have to be inherently distinctive or descriptive with secondary meaning. There can be names, so word mark applications or designs, design mark applications. However, the USPTO allows us to register, register trademarks that are colors. So, for example, Tiffany Blue is a, is a very popular trademark. But again, a color in order to be able to be registered has to achieve secondary meaning. Well, that takes then, way too long, right? So you advise your client trademark all your your words, your design. That's much easier, right? Than yes, definitely twenty uh, years or whatever for a color to take. Definitely, definitely. Can you think uh, of any other colors that are trademarked? Like like McDonald's yellow is that trademarked? The I'm not R's? sure. I'm not huh. sure. I'm just yeah, curious because we all know good. Tiffany, but I can't think of any others that are really distinctive, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, I think that Tiffany Blue is the most common one. Right. Yeah. So uh, you can also trademark shapes, and then a trademark is called a trade dress. A what? Uh, A trade dress. Trade dress, okay. Yeah. So, uh, for example, the shape of a Coca-Cola bottle uh, is a trade dress. So a registered trademark. But again, the shape has to be either inherently distinctive or the shape has to achieve secondary meaning, which is also not that easy. A long time, yeah. Uh, So another thing that a lot of people confuse. um, So weight is my business, uh, business name, also my trademark. So it really depends. So for example, let's say you form an entity in California. You have to make sure that no other companies in California use the same business name as you do. Uh, But let's say you clear that your LLC or your corporation is now registered with the state of California and you want to move forward and register this name as a trademark. It might not be possible because the sole fact that your company is formed in one particular state, it doesn't mean that the name is available at the federal level. So sometimes a business has to change its name. name. Trademark is not available. And then they have to file a DBA form doing business as with the state and basically change their corporate name. Um, Wow. Yeah. Uh, So the company name and the trademark name might differ, but the sole fact that you obtained your articles of organization with a state doesn't mean that you have the right to the trademark. So it's very important to plan ahead even before you file um, your business registration so that you're making. Wow, that totally makes sense. And I'm sure I know I didn't do that, (laughs) you know. A lot of people don't. So, uh, I'm yeah, I just to... did the name search on the Secretary of State. Woohoo, it's available. Hit the ground running. Let's go. Never thought it of that. It doesn't work like that with the USPTO, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I wanted to explain in a few words uh, the trademark registration process. Mm. Uh, so, as the first step, step, you have to make sure that your name is valid, but we already discussed that. Then the next step, we have to narrow down relevant trademark classes related to your goods or services. So what does that mean? What does that part mean? Your trademark can be um, used in connection with some goods. So there are some trademark classes um, that are used for goods. So, for example, I use International Class 25 a lot. Uh, It's in trademark class in connection with clothing. 
or let's say I use IC009 a lot as well. Uh, these are downloadable applications, computer applications. So for example, tech companies use it a lot. So these are classes related to your goods. However, there are also classes related to services. So these would be technically service marks. Uh, so for example, you can file in class uh, IC041, it's educational services. So for example, this seminar would likely be uh, the name women in investing would be registered in class IC041, uh, educational services, namely providing uh, seminars in the field of investing or something like that. Uh, so there are different classes. Uh, it's very important to choose the right ones for your, for your trademark because then another party may oppose the trademark saying like, hey, you registered your mark in connection with clothing, but you're only selling beauty products and you're not selling any t-shirts. So they can basically... So they could object or block, or block you. Yeah. They can cancel the trademark if the trademark is not in use. So generally it's recommended to file online classes that you are planning to use or are using already. So actually it, takes, it brings me to my third point that uh, finally we're ready to file a trademark application with the USPTO, but there are two types of applications. So they're based either on the intent to use or using commerce basis. So let's say you, you're about to start a business, but you haven't launched your products or services yet, but you want to protect your name. Actually, it's perfect because once you file the application on the intent to use basis, you obtain constructive priority uh, to use your mark. So basically, you're the first to use because you just file uh, with the USPTO and you put people on notice. And even uh, if you're just starting out, you don't have a lot of sales, like if someone sells something, right, they're, they're in commerce, even if they're just starting off, they're better off doing that, right? Absolutely. You don't, you know, you don't need to show anything. You just have to have the intent to use the application in the future. Um, so it's a, a good thing to do. So clear your name, make sure it's available and make sure that no one steals it by filing the intent to use application. But let's say you're already using your, um, your mark in commerce. Uh, so you're selling your goods or you're offering your services to public. Then you can file an application based on the use in commerce. Uh, it's a little bit more straightforward but we might have more issues because let's say you already started using your trademark and the attorney found other conflicting marks out there, but you don't want to change your name because you already invested a lot of money in marketing activities. Mm -hmm. um, so then we may argue um, that, you know, the mark is not confusing, confusingly similar because of uh, many factors. So for example, it might be different in sound, appearance, connotation. You mm -hmm. might market uh, your goods to different consumers and things like that. Mm. Um, so how long is the trademark registration? Well, you have to be very patient because a trademark wow. registration process takes at least 8 to 12 months and only everything goes smoothly. Uh, but a lot of things can go wrong. So what can go wrong? Yeah. First of all, uh, the USPTO, so the United States Patent and Trademark Office, uh, might find that your mark is confusingly similar and issue an office action. An office action is basically a letter describing that there are other marks out there that are too similar to your mark. And then the USPTO doesn't want to move forward with your trademark registration. So, for example, in my uh, legal career, career, I had to fight uh, some office action. So, let's say, uh, actually, I'm going to give you two examples. Um, the examining attorney at the USPTO found that main geek and main muse were confusingly similar. I don't these think so. All, these are all um, services offered in connection with the beauty industry, specifically the hair industry. So I had to argue that main geek and main use 
are different and we're able to successfully overcome the office action. Then Uh another example, and we're going back to INI, the examining attorney found that INI and INI Savoy are, again, confusingly similar. Uh, Finally, we were able to overcome it, overcame it, but it was very, uh, very challenging. And again, the examining attorney's decisions are generally highly subjective. So sometimes they let the marks pass. Sometimes they're really arguing that the marks are too similar. And another example is that an examining attorney found that her and her law in connection with uh, cosmetics, they were confusingly similar as well. But I don't again, understand how, how were, so I thought a trademark couldn't be an exact word and her is like a, an exact word, right? How did they get that trademarked? Yeah, this, I mean, it's, it's not descriptive, right? I would yeah. say that hair might be suggestive because it's a beauty oh, brand like hair, like for women. Hair. No, uh-huh. it's a beauty brand for women. So okay. just hair, like for hair for women. So uh-huh. I think it, yeah, it's not descriptive. Any, any word technically can be registered. Uh-huh. So uh, it doesn't have to be a made-up name. Interesting. Um, yeah. And then um, during the trademark process, also third parties might file opposition. So we already talked about that. That's some people can so say. So in, okay. in these ones that you handled that, or that you had to fight, um, how long did it take for, for that like battle? Because, yeah, eight to 12 months is already a long time. And then you have to add on the discussion. And I, I'm imagining the trade office is pretty busy, right? Probably, you know, they give you a, an opinion letter and then it goes in a pile somewhere and they've got to pull it out of the pile when you send your stuff. So how, how long does that take? Yeah, so once you file a trademark application, after three months, the examining attorney will give you his or her initial opinion. Okay. Uh, so he or she will let you know, like, hey, here's an office action or hey, like, we can go ahead and you know move forward with the trademark registration. So once an examining attorney issues an office action, then we have six months to respond. Um, so sometimes people wait until last minute to file the office action. So then we already have nine months in, right? Because it's three months of the initial review process, then six months for the office action response. And then once an office action is fi- a response to an office action is filed, then the USPTO usually gets back within a month or so. Oh, okay. And then we move forward to if everything goes smoothly, meaning the application is approved, uh, then the opposition period starts. And the opposition period in the United States lasts 30 days. And during okay, this that's not uh, too bad window, third parties can file oppositions. Uh, Usually it doesn't happen because not a lot of companies just monitor various trademarks. So we might have some issues once the trademark is registered and people are trying to to contest it in some Mm -hmm. ways. Right. Uh, Okay, so I have some tips and suggestions for you. Um, I think that it's important... um, to just run a simple Google search while you're choosing a name for a business just to see what's out there. If no other people uh, are using the trademark, especially in the United States, but you want to um, to look at things globally uh, because now a lot of businesses go international uh, or expand their services internationally. So it's important to, to be aware of uh, what's out there. And then I would also check availability of social media handles, so Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, because sometimes, like, let's say we we clear the trademark, we register the, the entity, but it turns out that the Instagram handle was already taken, so it's annoying, right? Because we have to add some additional component to it um, yeah. in order to, to make it um, available for us. And then uh, check the domain as well. There's a website, I can, I-C-A-N-N, mm-hmm. where you can um, check whether a domain is uh, available or not. So it really helps uh, 
to make sure that the name that um, you're married to um, yeah. is available out there. Yeah. Okay, so um, another question that I get is how much does filing a trademark application cost? Uh, so it's $225 per class. We talked about different classes, for example, clothing, applications, or educational services uh, in one trademark application. Because let's say if you have a design, um, so a logo of your company and a word mark, then and you're filing in, let's say, IC025 clothing, then you have to uh, multiply by 225 times two because we have two separate applications and two separate classes. And then obviously, if you're deciding to hire an attorney, you have to cover uh, attorney's fees. Mm-hmm. Okay, so next one. Um, Can I just stop you a second? So let's say you're you're in the clothing industry because uh, I do have a client who, uh, you know, makes yoga clothes or whatever. So you're just registering the name under which you're going to do business, but are you also trademarking or marking somehow? Like, let's say you have a new design for yoga pant or you have a new shape for some piece of clothing or maybe, yeah, like the design of the actual piece of clothing. Are you registering each design that's unique? No, actually, um, fashion designs in the United States are not subject to much intellectual property protection. So we're thinking about trademarks as names or logos or slogans or maybe Mm -hmm. shapes of some items Mm -hmm. that we use like bottles bottles, or maybe some shoes Mm -hmm. that can be subject to traders' protection. But generally, traders' protection is quite challenging and expensive to obtain. with fashion designs, some designs might be subject to copyright protection, but again, it's very limited. Only some pieces of clothing can be subject mm. uh, to copyright protection based on conceptual separability doctrine. So let's say a buckle of a belt um, can be subject to copyright protection. You can file it with the copyright office, but generally the shape or the design of a garment or yoga pants is not subject uh, to trademark or copyright protection. However, you might be using, you know, some novel fabrics, then maybe patents will get involved um, or things like that. Uh, I think like, I'm just thinking of the the lady in the seventies that invented the reversible skirt. Like if you come up with some kind of invention like that, that's clothing, but it's also like, like an invention, right? So yeah, so it would be subject to probably design patents. Okay. Uh, okay. But generally, like simple items, no intellectual property that. protection. That's why it's very important to to protect your name as a trademark to have something out there when you're losing when you are using a logo on your garment or things like that, uh, which can interesting you know, okay protect you. <laughs> okay. Cool. Okay, so uh, let's move on. And now we're going to talk about copyright. Um, So copyright is any original work of authorship authorship fixed in any tangible medium of expression. So what does it mean? It can be a photograph or, for example, a graphic design. So, for example, any books or or things that are fixed in a tangible medium of expression are somehow original are automatically subject to copyright protection. So in order to to obtain copyright protection, you don't even have to register it. Um, You just get it. Um, Another question I get is, when can I register my copyright? I would say as soon as the work is created and primarily because of of the third point that I mentioned, that copyright registration is a prerequisite to a copyright infringement lawsuit. Um, so it's very important to have this copyright registration in case someone else's uses your work and you want to to file a lawsuit. It's just much easier when you already have uh, copyright registration. Officially. Especially, yeah. I think it's um, especially important for uh, for photographers or graphic mm-hmm. designers or fashion designers can think about copywriting some prints 
um, that are original that they place mm. on the garments or things like that. Oh, that's true. Some designers invent their own prints, right? And then have them made. Yes, yeah. correct. And then uh, it can be subject to copyright protection. Mm. Um, then another question I get a lot is, can I use someone else's copyright? So generally, no. Uh, but I think you may be able to do it once you obtain a permission from the person or an official license from the person, mm. or if it's subject to fair use doctrine. So what does it mean? For example, I'm able to use some pictures or videos during my lectures at LIM or things like that because I'm doing it in connection with educational purposes. So as long as I'm not getting paid for something, meaning so you're I'm not profiting selling a photograph, yeah, then I would be able to use it based on the fair use doctrine. But generally, I would not recommend just like reposting uh, or screenshotting people's images or Instagram and then reposting it because it would be subject to uh, copyright infringement. You can get in trouble, huh? Is that what you mean? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so what's the penalty for, let's say you did something like that. You, I don't know, uh, you know, copied like a paragraph out of someone's book and posted it as a quote. You're actually kind of breaking the law there, right? I mean, when you're like, you know, quoting someone and if you credit the person, it's probably okay. Okay. Um, I would say that copyright infringement is more about plagiarizing, right? So like the entire work or just stealing some images or designs or prints or things like that. Okay. Um, and what's the penalty for that? What can they, what can they do to you if, you if they catch you and don't like it? Well, first of all, a person will likely send a cease and desist letter to stop the use of the thing. If they're really mad at you, then they're going to sue you. And uh-huh. then you have to pay a lot of money. Yeah. How do they calculate what you owe for that? There are statutory damages. Okay. And then also it depends like how much the the author of the copyright lost and things like that. So... It's a pretty complicated formula. Okay. Uh, but usually these cases settle. Uh, I mean, there are copyright infringement cases, don't get me wrong, but a lot of these cases settle. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently, there are a lot of um, copyright infringement lawsuits in connection with um, celebrities or influencers reposting images of themselves that were taken by third parties. So usually you're taken by photographer. So let's say, you know, a paparazzi takes a picture of, I don't know, you know, Gigi Hadid, and then Gigi Hadid reposted the picture on her Instagram. So even though she's in the picture, technically the copyright belongs to the photographer. Mm. But then, you know, attorneys of celebrities or influencers try to argue that the person is just using uh, his or her right to publicity. Mm. But uh, we don't have a precedent yet because all of these cases uh, settled. Okay. So the celebrities paid some money uh, to photographers. I don't think that it wasn't. So after the fact, they said, oh, so sorry. Here's a fee to make it better. You know, and the photographer already got, probably got paid, right? For taking this picture, he was, or she was already compensated. Uh, I think that these issues has become especially tricky because now celebrities or influencers make so much money on Instagram. And these are pretty lucrative deals. So photographers or their agencies are going after uh, celebrities or influencers in order to get a chunk. It's like easy money, right? Kind of easy, target easy money. Um, So that brings me to a, a thing. So when you use images, you really should either pay for them or if they if it says they're free images like i had a client that got caught in this is you they were supposed to give credit to the photographer and they never gave credit so that photographer they got a letter from an attorney saying hey you used our image and you didn't give us credit and they had to pay money to make it go away right so um i guess you should always be aware of where you got the image or the 
whatever it is. Mostly it's images these days, I think. But even songs, right? Bits of songs or bits of music. You have to be careful what you... Oh, very careful. What you snag, you know, off the internet. You might think it's free because it's on the internet, but really you need to... That's someone's property, right? So you have to... Yeah, so there are some things that are in the public domain, meaning anyone can use them. Uh, But there are special pages like you know, these uh, stock photography pages like Unsplash or you name it, there, there are so many. So, you know, once you register and go on one of these websites, you're able to download some of the photos for free. Usually they're just like, okay, photos, but all these nice photos, generally you have to obtain a permission or a license from, from the person. With music, it gets, gets even more complicated. Um, music copyright law is very detailed um, and it's changing all the time especially now with all these um, tech or like software that is able to create music and then questions of who's the author of the the song you know because actually software created it Uh, so these issues um, are becoming more and more interesting Mm -hmm. and there are primarily unresolved um, so I would be very, very careful, especially to protect yourself. Cause also if you put these things in your marketing, then you have to reinvent your marketing because you put this thing in there that now someone says you cannot use, right. Or you have to pay yeah, for it. Correct. You? correct. Even yeah. if it's like a very short jingle, you know, you, you have to. Yeah. 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 Okay. I heard that, that if a song is over 50 years old or over a hundred years old, that it's now available to everyone. Is that true? Yeah. So copyright uh, lasts for, you know, particular amount of time. I don't remember how many years uh, they give uh, to songs, but I think it's generally between 70 to 120 years for different types okay. of, of works that are subject to copyright protection. So I can steal all the Bach and Beethoven that I want. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> That's great that you're cautious. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a it's a cliche, right? But uh, this is a standard answer for attorneys. Maybe, yes. or Maybe. it depends. Uh, you know, law is a gray area, so right. uh, not everything is black and white. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to, to talk briefly about the fees uh, related to copyright registration. Uh, they vary. They can uh, be as low as $35. But if you're, let's say, registering a, a group of works, they can go up to 500 bucks. But usually they're like 35 to $65. So copyright registration is relatively inexpensive. And I think it's uh, very important to, to protect yourself and just like file uh, the registration. The, the process takes at least three months. So it's much, uh, much faster than trademark mm-hmm. and again it, it it gives you the opportunity to sue someone uh if someone uses your copyrighted work uh but then i also wanted to briefly discuss other type uh, of ip uh so let's say there are trade secrets uh so trade secrets um are basically any or is any uh confidential information that your company may use. So probably one of the most popular trade secret is that Coca-Cola recipe. So no one knows it. They really protect it. They keep it secure and confidential. Um, There's also another company on the market. It's called Castle, C-A-A-S-T-L-E. Okay. It's clothing um, as a service. Uh, So they're basically building websites for third-party retailers, for example, Bloomingdale's or Banana Republic or Vince, uh, enabling these companies to uh, to build, you know, stores for like rental stores. So these uh, these brands are renting clothing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So Castle provides like the infrastructure behind behind renting because I think that no Banana Republic, Bloomingdale's, everyone interesting you know, uh, rents uh, their goods. <laughs> not only rent the runway. Uh, so I would say that Castle might have a trade secret with regards to how they handle their infrastructure. So, so basically their platform and how they put it together 
to process like point of sale. It's kind of like a point of sale thing, right? So, so So platform is actually a trade secret. Yeah. Uh, But trade secrets are, are extremely difficult to maintain. So there are not too many, right? Because as soon as someone discloses some confidential information, it's not a trade secret anymore. Right. So it becomes very tricky. Mm. Uh, then we also have patents. Uh, so patents relate to any inventions that are novel and non-obvious. Uh, so they can be utility patents, so some applications and things like that, processes, um, but also design patents. So, for example, we talked about some um, conventional pieces of clothing mm-hmm. can be subject to, to design patent protection. Uh, design patents are valid for 14 years, and then utility patents are valid for 20 years. Uh, patents are probably the most common in the pharmaceutical industry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, you may know why all these uh, companies are changing the names of, of the medication, even though the ingredients remain the same. It's just because of, like, patent protection, it's relatively short because mm-hmm. uh, your trademark is valid as long as it's in use and as long as you file, uh, you know, the renewal fees with the USPTO then copyright we said that generally copyright protection lasts between 70 to 120 years and then patents, you know, only 14 or 20 yeah. years. So it's, yeah, it's, it's much, much shorter. And then and we where also do have- apps like uh, computer apps, like gaming apps and things like that. Where does that fall in, in the intellectual property? Patents. Yeah. Patents. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, either design or utility, you know, if you can, uh, patent your user interface of the of the design of the app and things like that. Because so I see a lot of kids one. now. A lot of kids are inventing apps for all kinds of things, and I don't think they're really aware. Like it's fun to them, and they, you know, and and it's almost second nature. Like they do it for fun, and I don't think they really realize that they've got intellectual property there that could be taken away from them. Right? I mean. Yeah, so, you know, ideas are generally not protected by any type of intellectual property, but the process or the method, for example, can be subject to patent protection, right? So Mm -hmm. software can be subject to to patent protection. Mm -hmm. Uh, Patents are generally extremely expensive and uh, challenging to obtain uh, because the process really has to be, you know, unique. Yeah, Yeah, unique. So... uh, it's, you know, if you have an app idea, probably you should talk to a patent attorney just to make sure that no one can steal this idea and create an app that um, does it faster or, you know, yeah, or compete with service you, yeah. or the group for, for a lower price. Mm. Uh, so once you have a patent, no one can do it. Okay. Um, and then uh, I said that ideas are not subject to intellectual property protection, but there's one contractual, contractual option, like an NDA agreement, so a non-disclosure agreement, that may allow you to protect your ideas. So let's say um, you're a tech person and you have a meeting, let's say, with Amazon. Then you might want to have some sort of NDA to be executed. So basically, anything you discuss uh, during this meeting can't be taken away from you. So Amazon, you know, might have more money to develop your idea. And, and faster, and yeah, yeah, they could take it to market faster. Exactly, but it's extremely difficult to make, especially big players, to execute these agreements. Uh, sometimes, you know, they would not talk to you if you want to, to sign an NDA. Same with designers. Sometimes, you know, there's a young designer, um, you know, who just graduated from a fashion school and they go with their new designs to Gucci or Chanel, whatever you name it, Michael Kors. And then, you know, usually these houses, they don't want to sign NDAs, but it's a good, uh, good way of protecting your ideas mm-hmm. or things that are not clearly subject mm-hmm. to... Um, 
Well, that seems like an unfair advantage, though, because if you go to one of these big companies, you obviously like want to sell your idea to them or have them produce it for you because you don't have the the chain to, you know, you don't have the capacity to produce it. This happened to a friend of mine and he was so afraid to lose his idea to the big company uh, that he decided he would just try and do it all himself while having a full time job. But I can understand that fear, too, because they could so easily take your idea and run with it, right? Absolutely. It's a very difficult decision, right? Because you really want to have this meeting. You really want them to take a look at your idea. Mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, you don't want it you know, to be taken away from you. So mm-hmm. it, it's, yeah, it's not a great situation to be in. Right. But it's very, very common. Right. So I see that a lot in real estate non-disclosures, like to protect who the seller is, what the numbers are when they're not selling to the openly to the public like on the multiple listing or LoopNet or some kind of big platform for especially commercial real estate we see this a lot um and it's mostly to protect the relationship between the guy that's got the contract with the seller and the rest of the world right so so you don't circumvent that realtor or that agent in order for you not to circumvent them they have you sign these non-disclosures but would that really hold up Yes and no. You know, okay. sometimes uh, a confidentiality a clause or agreement can be too broad, mm-hmm. or things like that, and then can people can try to um, to argue that it's invalid and unenforceable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, and these are, are very common, especially like in real estate transactions. You know. Yeah, I uh, see them a lot. Those. Yeah, things. yeah, all the time. Uh, in my world, media, fashion, tech world. Not so much. Maybe in the in, in the tech world, a little bit more. Um, yeah, maybe dealing with a lot of data. Mm-hmm. And how it, you know it's an intangible asset that's that's really pricey. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, just to summarize, I think it's important to protect your intellectual property because once your company grows, you know investors or even third parties you're dealing with, they have certain expectations. They want to see trademark registration. They want to see. That you have a valid patent for your for your service or for a product, um, and as your company grows, you know you might want to sell it, and then intellectual property and the goodwill of your company are are the most most valued aspects of your business, and that's why it's so important. Um, yeah, I think to your point, like if anyone's watching these Shark Shark Tank things, yeah. the first thing they ask is, "Do you have a patent on that, or do you have a trademark?" Like. And it seems to me, in my limited knowledge of this shark tank, if there's not intellectual property protection, a lot of those guys are like, I'm out because it means, especially in the food area, it seems like people can just replicate that fabulous yogurt or that cake in a jar, whatever the the cool thing that these people invented, if they didn't get protection, these big, um, you know, angel investors don't want to be involved, right? Because that's, it seems to me, they seem to think that there's a huge value in just protecting that idea. Absolutely, because why would you invest in a business that can be replicated so easily, right? Mm-hmm, uh, right. So, yeah. Yeah, this is making really a lot of sense. Of course, it's going to make us all paranoid too, but thank you. This is very, <laughs> this is very helpful. <laughs> okay, great. I don't know if you have any questions or no. No, I don't see any questions, so... Um, I mean, I was asking my questions as we went along. I hate interrupting, but I get so excited, you know. Um, But yeah, I think so, depending on people's walk of life, they might need a different protection or not walk of life, but their different business types is going to call for different protections, right? Um, Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And what I got tonight was, which is brilliant, is is the doing it early because you know when you're just starting a company, it's like you don't even know if it's going to survive. You're just, you know, you think it's great what you want to do, but you don't know how far it's going to go. So it seems almost like grandiose, or uh, I, I don't know how to call it, like a, you know, kind of uh, egotistical to think, oh, I should trademark my blah 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 when you're you're one month in business, right? So, so I think that's an eye opener for most of us, you know? 
Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, it can save you a lot of money in the long term to protect your intellectual property right away because you might already invest in marketing activities mm-hmm. you know, and be developing your products. And then it turns out that actually it's not available. So, so yeah. Mm-hmm. So one question I do remember someone asked me is they want to trademark their name and they feel like it's a unique name, right? Um, and they use it in their business and they were told that they can't trademark their name. And I'm wondering what your take is on that, or maybe there's a gray area there. No, generally names, um, can be trademarked. There are a lot of people who trademark their name, like Michael Kors or, mm-hmm. Kate, you know, um, yeah, sometimes the name has to like, you know, achieve secondary meaning or whatever in order to be trademarked. But, uh, I have had a lot of clients who just trademark uh, their last names right away. But uh, you might want to reconsider it. Um, like we learned in the Kate Spade case, I actually, I actually interned at Coach while uh, now Tapestry, not Coach, uh, was acquiring Kate Spade. So uh, Kate Spade, once she sold her company, I guess for the first or for the second time, Mm. Uh, she also sold the rights to her name. Uh, so then she wasn't able to use Kate's name uh, in connection with any commercial activities, right? So it wasn't even a license. Um, wow. So she couldn't make a speech and get paid as Kate Spade then? Um, you know, it, like it how do they have person, right? I'm, I'm talking about like goods with her name. Okay. or services with her name. So okay. she ended up starting a new brand. Uh, it was called Frances Valentine, just because she wasn't able to use the Kate Spade name anymore. What uh, was the new one? Frances Valentine? Frances Valentine, yeah. I think it was oh. like her middle name or her maiden name or something. Oh, okay. but, uh-huh. um, but yeah, it was a very interesting case. So it's also very important to protect your name and likeness. So if you're planning to grow a huge company and selling in the future then, you know, you might not want to probably name it after yourself uh, because it might become complicated. That's Uh, interesting. You know, what just came to mind is you might want to use your profile as part of your logo. And if you don't trademark that, then you might be stopped from using your own profile, right? I mean, if you didn't. Yeah, you can sell the rights to your name and likeness. Wow, that's so interesting. And I heard that there's a celebrity that's named Kylie something and another celebrity named Kylie something. And I don't know either one of those girls, but I guess one wanted to trademark the name and the other objected because it was too confusing because they're both Kylie's and they're both celebrities. Right. So I guess there could be instances where you get you get shut down with that. Yeah, I think there was a famous uh, case between uh, Gucci and Paolo Gucci. So one of the family members of the Gucci family. So Paul Gucci was using his name in connection with a separate brand. And then Gucci was claiming that it's you know, confusingly similar. So. so that family member was able to shut him down. Or the real Gucci, Actually, the, think, the branded I Gucci. Think, I didn't think they were able to shut it down, but he was only able to use Paul Gucci and not Gucci. Just and not he just. ended up winning the case. Um, Interesting. But these cases uh, can get very tricky, so you th- you should think prior to registering your own oh, name. so that's Especially a great for- idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a great idea because also, like, I'm thinking I, my um, mortgage consulting website is just my name. So what if someone, and I looked online, there are other girls, believe it or not, there are other Athena Paquettes out there. Mm. So can you imagine someone else could trademark the name and tell me, hey, you got to change your... <laughs> website name right i mean i don't see someone doing that but you never know right yeah you never know that's a good insight right there well cool let me check again so since we have no questions i guess i'll just say thank you this has been so enlightening if someone wanted to reach you they can use any of these your email or your phone number yes okay great and um yeah i guess you're pretty busy your 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 um office is in new york right yes you have did you say you have four attorneys working on your team now yeah we have four attorneys working on our team <laughs> wow that's amazing 
So, um, so if someone leaves you a message, it takes a day or two for you to call back or what, what the expect, what should the expectation be? I guess. Yeah, I'm trying to respond to everyone within 24 hours. A couple of days. Okay, good. Because I know sometimes I leave messages for attorneys and they're in court and their business practices are not great, right? So they don't change their voicemail saying they're not there. So, you know, I, I always like to ask, what's the expectation because of the workload that you have, right? So, yeah. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Anna. This has been such a pleasure. Thanks for coming on to Women in Investing and sharing your brilliance and Hopefully, we'll avoid problems and be more prosperous. More importantly, being more prosperous by doing things the right way, right? Yeah, of course. Okay. Thank you so much for having me and protect no your <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much, Anna. Have Bye. a great night. Bye-bye.